I want to uh, invite you. We're going to, our, our lectionary text this morning is out of the book of Matthew. And it's a long text. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I, in fact, I'm just going to read a couple of verses and then make reference to the rest. It starts in Matthew 9:35. It goes all the way to chapter 10, verse 15. Thank you, Pastor, for not reading all those verses. All right. Here we go. But Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, searching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Take note of that. And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Verse 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited. Some of you have translations that, that say they were helpless and harassed. Um, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Uh, into his harvest. And then in chapter 10 is the sending out of the 12 as he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Lord, would you speak to us through your word? We love you. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to allow that to speak to our heart. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The title I've given the message this morning is Where Compassion Meets the Vulnerable. November 2021, Disney released a movie that, by all accounts, was considered a box office, uh, you know, kind of a mediocre box office success. It, it wasn't what they had kind of hoped for, but in my opinion, the movie Encanto is one of the best that they've put out in a long time. Um, now, the, the movie, if you've not seen it, you sh I would encourage you to see it. It's a great, great animated. Is it fully animated? Right, it's fully animated, right? Yeah. I was trying to think if it's a, if it's a digital one, but it's animated. Okay. So um, uh, it, it tells the story of a family, and it's set in South America. It's particularly, I believe, in Colombia is where they, where they tried to set the, the, uh, the movie, but it's about a family, uh, and the family is the Madrigal family, and each of the ind these individuals in this family have this incredibly tragic background and story, and yet their family is vital to holding this village together, and this particular family, each one of the family members has a special gift, and that gift is there to help the village. And so they highlight each one of these individuals and their gifts, except for the one who's narrating the story, and her name is Mirabelle. And Mirabelle is full of joy, and she's telling the story about all of her family members she's very proud of, and she's talking about their gifts, and she's looking to them, and she's really happy for them, except for this glaring fact that she doesn't have a gift. And in fact, she's just kind of normal. And so it's, again, really great story that's told through this, this uh, movie. And the story, which actually is a musical, by the way, it ends with a song called All of Me. And I'm not going to sing it, but here, here are the lyrics, some of the lyrics of that, of, that, of that song. Look at this home. We need a new foundation. It may seem hopeless, but we'll get by just fine. Look at this family, a glowing constellation, so full of stars, and everybody wants to shine. But the stars don't shine, they burn. 
and the constellations shift, I think it's time you learn you're more than just your gift. Home sweet home. I like the new foundation. It isn't perfect. Neither are we. That's true. Just one more thing. Before the celebration, what? Now the family comes together to Mirabel and says, we need a new doorknob. We made this one for you. We see how bright you burn. We've seen how brave you've been. Now see yourself in turn. You're the real gift. You're the gift, kid. Let us in. Open your eyes. What do you see? Her response, I see me. All of me. And admittedly, it's an emotional movement moment. <laughs> yes, I've teared up more than once at that spot. Uh, when she sees herself as more than just the family member who doesn't have a gift. She's always seen herself as something less than. And she sees herself. And I think part of the reason that, that story speaks so loudly is because we live in a world where exceptionalism and accomplishment are consistently elevated. Now, I want to say, those of us who've grown up in the church, add to that some really good old religious shame. You know what I'm talking about? And then we come to these verses like Matthew 9. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. And then chapter 10, go. Heal the sick. Cast out spirits. Proclaim the kingdom is here. And it becomes fairly easy to conclude, especially listen to Jesus' words. This is an intense calling. You can't just be ordinary. You've got to be exceptional. Am I the only person that's ever sort of concluded that? And to be honest, that's the internal head and heart space that I've lived in for years. Where I always saw myself as, well, you know, this, through this dark, dismissive lens. You know, you've done pretty well, but let's be honest. You're not exceptional. Just ordinary. And, and I've seen myself through this lens of failure, of weakness, of lack. And like so many, fear and shame became my tutors. Not only reminding me of my failure, of my lack, but especially it pertains to the kingdom of God. And, and again, I read Matthew 9 and 10, or the sending out of the 12, the sending out of the 72. And, and I look at this narrative like, if, there, if I'm supposed to do that, how come it doesn't feel exceptional for me? And let me just keep my finger on this thought for just a minute. I mean, how many times have you heard this verse? Pray for laborers at discipleship schools or, or Bible colleges or seminaries that reference this is what we're doing. 
We're sending out laborers. We are, we're raising up excellence. Now, nothing wrong with having excellence, but this unspoken reference that, that we're going to raise up the equipped and the exceptional. Now, before I go any farther into this text, I want to acknowledge that in both of these texts, in the sending out of the 12 and the 72, uh, Jesus talks about persons of peace in our life, okay? Meaning that, um, by the way, this, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing pause right in my train of thought where I'm going in this message, but I just want to make sure I don't miss this. Uh, when he says, um, go and, and uh, don't take anything with you, and where they welcome you, you go and you stay there. Um, interesting. Cold calling was never in Jesus' reference book. I mean, I'm not saying that God can't use it, but I'm just saying breathe a sigh of relief if you've ever felt freaked out about it because actually Jesus never really invited his friends to do it. So so his, his approach seems to be that he's interested about us living a real life of connection with God and other people. And that that's actually where the kingdom of God becomes most evident. (sighs) All right? Big sigh. Now, again, I've taught about the persons of peace, but I want to make sure I I don't miss underlining this one more time. It means that we pay attention to those who are welcoming in our life, who are willing to hear us and to listen to us. A person who isn't listening to you and who's arguing with you, you don't need to power up and find a, you know, pull out a book and have a debate with them. Actually, these are the words of Jesus I'm giving you. I'm just giving you a real loose paraphrase. Uh, you know, where, I, where in the past I thought, man, I've really got to come back ready to debate with that person. The truth is that person's really not receiving what you're sharing. Jesus ministered, and his, his ministry was to encourage us to share with those who would welcome us. Now, in this text, in chapter 9 and 10, he's been, so again, don't miss those two side points. He's been healing the sick and then casting out spirits, and, and the Pharisees just got done saying, good job, you're in league with Satan. It's just, it's a, it's a rough text. And yet, when he looks at the people Chapter 9, verse 36. This is the verse that really jumped out at me this week. He's moved with compassion when he saw the people. Five times, and it's only in Matthew's account, that we, we have this reference of Jesus seeing the people. And this is the first one, when he is seeing them, and then he's moved to compassion. That's the reference. Five times that he's referenced that he's moved to compassion. This is the first one, meaning that he's internally moved. So don't miss this. I've often internalized a a different message, and, and hopefully I'm able to word this so that you hear what I'm trying to say, that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, often hears that old shame thing in my head, pray for the Lord of the harvest. You need to work harder, Ben. I'm pointing at Jack. You need to get after it, right? We need to send out laborers. We've got to get going. Jesus is moved to compassion, not because of the lack of laborers, but because of the vulnerability of the helpless. 
That's a big difference. Are, are you guys understanding what I'm trying to communicate right now? He's not coming into a gathering of people saying, why aren't you more excellent? He's, he's seeing the helpless and the harassed. His, his target of his heart is toward the harassed and the helpless. He's not giving a pep talk or an exhortation and rebuke. He's moved to compassion. Beloved, the good news that we proclaim today in God's kingdom, God sees the vulnerable, the helpless, the harassed. He sees and has acted as he always does in love and compassion, not in wrath and anger. This kingdom is led by a God who sees the vulnerable and his action is to partner with his friends to usher restoration and renewal of all that he had in mind when he created mankind. And beloved, that's what the kingdom is all about. It's how he still operates. His miracle is not about exceptionalism. It's about Christ in you. That is good news. Seeing the people. Matthew 9:36 is moved to compassion. This is the same God who in Genesis 3 saw the darling of his creation trying to hide under a fig leaf in a bush. And he went and looked for him. The God who has always acted in compassion on behalf of the masterpiece of his creation. What God saw then in Genesis 2 and 3, he sees now his children. Not mistakes, not weakness, not failure. His children, helpless and harassed. And the gospel, beloved, is the declaration that he moved heaven and earth to meet them in concrete ways to redeem and to restore. How does compassion meet the vulnerable? So as I began to look at this text this week, I thought, wait a minute. Let's think about this. Jesus sees the people harassed and helpless. He's moved with compassion. And what is his solution? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And I, I'm just, you know, doing what I do often. When I wake up, can't go back to sleep, I start thinking about the text. And what he did was he sent his friends. He sees the helpless and harassed. And didn't say, I need to work harder. But he sent his friends to the edges and to the vulnerable. Jesus' solution to what moved him and what he saw was to send his friends to say, go to the vulnerable. To invite his friends to partner with his heart. So how, how did he do that? Go get trained, get equipped, go to Bible college, find the star student, put him at the front of the line, have them begin it. No, actually what he said was, go to the lost sheep of Israel, the vulnerable, the, 
the, the helpless, the harassed. Heal the sick. Infers that they were hurting and that they were in need. And then he says, freely you've received, freely give. You know, they, they probably don't have a lot if they're living on the edges of surviving. So go to them. And to go, oh wait, to go you have to see. That's the first thing. Jesus touched my eyes. Help me see what I often am just walking past. Reverend Shively T.J. Smith, she put this very well. She said, the essentials of life are not just healing the ailment, but also letting those who are weary and in pain know that they are seen. Moving compassion is about the action of seeing those who are often not seen. Maybe what Jesus is revealing is that the basis of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into human lives, go to the vulnerable, begins with just this action that I actually see. I'm not doing anything yet, but I'm seeing those who are on the edges. Maybe otherwise who see themselves as a hindrance, those whose lives feel like a pile of of ashes and dust. Now, notice the posture. Jesus says, go. And, and here's the posture that he invites his friends to embrace. I, I didn't read the whole text, but if you're familiar with it, you'll, you'll know what I'm saying here. He says, um, don't take money. Don't take an extra tunic. No extra food. Go to the vulnerable. Watch invulnerability. Now, that's a different game strategy. I've had an opportunity that really has been a privilege and an opportunity to minister in different parts of the world, and something that I have noticed, especially when traveling to what we would call third world countries that are marked by extreme poverty and difficulty. Countless times, I'm looked at or maybe even attempted to be elevated as some kind of expert simply because of the color of my skin and the stamp on my passport. And truth be told, that's kind of gross. At 19 years old, just because I'm a white guy, walking around the streets of Haiti doesn't mean I'm really that smart. But I was given a platform. Now, I'm not saying that was a bad thing, and I think I responded to that in humility. But what Jesus is saying is when you go, you go in vulnerability and humility. See, to be treated with generosity is one thing, but then to be elevated by the assumption that, again, my citizenship or my skin color elevates me above someone else is just wrong. How I respond to that is really, really important. That says more about how they see themselves than it does about me. I need to begin to proclaim the truth about who they are. See, I've unfortunately had friends who've embraced those kind of accolades and allowed others to elevate them, which speaks, by the way, to their need to embrace the true heart of Jesus, who said, when you come into the room, take the last seat. When they push you to the front, go ahead and go to the back. Walk in humility. So 
Jesus is revealing vulnerability and humility as a mystery of how the kingdom of God is revealed. This is really important that we get our heads around this. In a, I mean, it's a, it's a deep thought that we need to let settle deep in us. Christ in me. Whoa, awesome. That doesn't mean, wow, look at me. It's actually about vulnerability, humility, because it's not about me. It's about Christ living in me. Travel light. Live simply. Extend. Look for hospitality. Your currency is found in and from a heart of love. Freely you've received, freely give. So we go in vulnerability, proclaiming the God who met our vulnerability. God met you not because of something you did really well. Right? right? Come on, there should be a yes, I agree, Pastor. Okay. Beloved, what's more powerful than the testimony of Christ's love that's touched my heart? And I referenced this a little while ago. Rather than, than defending the theology of excellence and what I think I really, really understand, actually, how about if we just talk about the, how the love of God encountered us? Okay? Going, quote, to meet the lost isn't about having, please don't get offended at this, but it's not about having a color code on your hand. It's about having Christ in you. It's about not outsmarting somebody's arguments, but trusting the power of love in you above all things. I'm sending you out. Watch, this is one of the next verses in chapter 10. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Jesus, this is a really interesting strategy. Sheeps don't generally want to hang out in a pack of wolves. They're going to get violently torn apart. Jesus is revealing that there's something more powerful than violent force, manipulation, intimidation, control. That's not our goal. Getting control of the room isn't our goal. That we choose love above all things because we believe there's something more powerful than man's violent force or manipulation or control. Okay? I'm sending you out this way, not because he thinks it's a game. Whoa, <laughs> sorry about you. No, because this is exactly how he came. Didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. So we go to the vulnerable. In vulnerability, Jesus' solution and answer, pray for laborers. Oh, by the way, that's you. And we're going to do this together. Oh, wait. Maybe because, ready for this? Here's a thought. It's a big one. He always intended that we, we operate in partnership together literally. Could I, dare I say it this way? As co-creators? To proclaim there's another kingdom. There's a redemptive power. Self-giving love and forgiveness to redeem, renew, and restore dust and ashes. And about that dust, well, Jesus actually said, this is Ben's paraphrase, don't worry about dusting. Now, in the sending of the 12 and the 72, there's these references to wiping the dust off your feet. And, you know, I, I began to think about this again. This couple of nights later, I'm thinking about this. 
I'm thinking about the dust. This is just how my brain operates, okay? I think about a thought, and it hits me in the moment. <laughs> so I'm sitting there going, you know, I've often heard these references. I, I remember when Denise and I went through a time of hurt in our life, and somebody came up to us and said, you know, wipe the dust off your feet. You know, that's kind of how we sort of reference it, sort of like this, be done with it, move on. Um, and it's kind of a negative thing. But, I'm, again, I'm laying in bed, and I'm thinking, Lord, what about that? Wait, wait a second. Let's just. The, the people who get welcomed still have dusty feet. Right? Are you with me? Are you staying with me? The, the, the people who are welcomed still have probably ashes that have fallen on them. And, and um, so what about that, Jesus? Shouldn't they wipe the dust off their feet? I mean, what is this? And, and so, I'm, again, I'm sitting there whatever hour in the morning it was, and I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. Genesis 1. God makes man and woman from the debris of dry dirt, dust. So, from what I'm trying to wipe off on my feet and my furniture, he makes his most prized possession, you and me. Let this thought hit you because it really, really stoked me up this week. I was like, God, you're able to take the most lifeless thing I can imagine, dead human cells, dry dirt, dry debris, boom, and you make it something vibrant and alive, and you take the prophet, and you hang him over the valley of dry bones and say, can that live? So, well, you know, uh, you know, but secretly, I, it's pretty dead, and, you know, just prophesy to it, and it comes to life, uh, and so, God, you're in the business of taking dead stuff. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? Okay? The stuff I want to kick off of my shoes and make it your prized possession. So when you're welcomed into a home, understand this, that to proclaim the kingdom of God means that God's going to take that dust, that debris, that, that, that looks and feels dead and worthless, and he's able to bring life to it. That's what proclaiming the kingdom of God is all about, that dust and ashes can become something of life and beauty. This is the kingdom of God. And that's how God is renewing the world over and over again. So what about the shaking of the dust off your feet? You know, I, uh, again, I kind of referenced that a little while ago, that oftentimes it's been kind of this reference like we're, you know, we're done with it. Oh, sorry, guys, on the call. I just shook the phone around a bunch. Um, that we're sort of shaking the dust off of our feet and, in a sense, almost like cursing somebody? Well, I like what one pastor said when he said it this way. By shaking the dust, here's what we're doing. You're letting God do what only God can do. Shaking dust isn't sadly washing your hands of failure and angrily tossing aside a broken project. See, I've heard, I've, I've watched a friend do this and, and make reference and actually endorse this idea. Like, well, they didn't hear me present the gospel, therefore I'm done being friends with them. Like, what are we doing? Right? Shaking the dust is a prayer that God will do a miracle by making beauty arise from ashes and making life come from the dust of the earth. You've prepared the way of the Lord. That's all you can do. Now pray that all people will see the salvation of our God. Beloved, that feels a whole lot more life-giving to me 
Yes, I'm going to shake the dust off of my feet, but I'm just going to let God do what God does. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Lord, what do we do? I've sent you. Open your eyes. What do you see? I see the vulnerable. Uh, well, go in vulnerability. What about the dust? Well, I make things come to life out of dust. Speak life. Again, Reverend Shively Smith she says it this way, today's scripture is a true witness to what Pentecost season should be about. Pentecost is not simply about Christians recognizing how God empowered us through the Holy Spirit to be bold and courageous for the sake of the gospel. This is not a season of empowered, inspired individualism. This is a season of recognizing we have been empowered to see the world around us, particularly the world that is often overlooked and ignored, and act in their behalf in ways that address their circumstances, that endanger their lives and their communities. After all, Jesus' compassion for others is always sparked by a single conversation, which is that others are harassed and helpless, and we must do something to address it. What authenticates Christian compassion is the action that accompanies the one feeling it, not the emotion only. Is compassion on the move in and around you? What does your compassion move you to do? Beloved, the good news that we proclaim today in God's kingdom, he sees the vulnerable, the helpless, the harassed. He sees and he has acted and he does in love and compassion. That he, he responds not in anger and wrath, this kingdom is led by a God who sees that, the, the vulnerable, and his action is to partner with his friends, you and me, to usher the restoration and renewal of all that he had in mind when he created mankind. And beloved, that is what the kingdom is all about. It's how he still operates. His miracle is not exceptionalism. His miracle is Christ in you. That's good news. Amen? I want to invite us to close this morning with a simple prayer. And if you would stand with me, and then we're going to go to communion. But this is a prayer. It feels fitting to have uh, this prayer and blessing today. This is from uh, the pastor mentor of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., Pastor Howard Washington Thurman. And this is a blessing. So I want to encourage you to pray this is a blessing over your own heart and over one another. Okay? <clears throat> Teach us, O God, that we may desire to desire love, that our will may become servants in the hands of that love, that our imaginations may be the vehicle through which our will disciplines our lives and orders our environments to the end that we may be your children in the midst of your children. Let the words of our mouths and our letters and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in the sight, in your sight, O God, our God. Amen and amen. Our rock and the great composer. I love that ending, by the way. 